By the way, Rox very much lives that too. I know you'll often uh, hear her because she's on announcements all the time, mention um, giving, but Rox, Roxanne and Ross are very, very generous people. They're very committed to tithing and being generous in the church. So she's not saying one thing and living another. It's very much what she lives. Well, I'm going to have a word of prayer. Shall I pray for a moment just before we get started? Let's pray together. Good to see you, Jason. Cheers, mate. Let's pray. Father, we want to give you thanks, Lord. Blessed is your holy name. It is a, a, a wonderful privilege to open the Bible. It's a wonderful privilege to sing your praises. And so, Father, here today, uh, as we've worshipped you and now as we endeavour to receive from your word, we want to pray that we might have open minds and hearts to listen to your scriptures, to think about your scriptures, and that you, by your spirit, might impart knowledge and direction to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. Well, welcome to the last in our series, Defeating the Dark Side. Defeating the Dark Side. Now, we've, we've covered a lot of topics. We started with forbidden fruit. Genesis chapter 3 was a good foundation to start with. We looked at the armour of God because we've got to know how to defend ourselves and indeed how to attack when it comes to spiritual warfare. We looked at Satan's downfall. Any general will say, you've got to know your enemy. You're never going to win a war if you don't know your enemy. We needed to know Satan's tactics and we needed to know his history. We looked at other topics like even hell. We had a look at that, two good things about hell. Sowing and reaping, weird and wonderful, blessings and curses last week. Well, today we're looking at the final in the series and it's titled Driving Out Demons. Driving Out Demons. Now, I know that um, obviously I can only cover so much in a single message. This is a Derek Prince book, They Shall Expel Demons. He's probably one of the foremost experts on this whole spiritual warfare area. If you want to get a book and get into it, I'd highly recommend this book. Um, today, too, uh, you've heard me quote as well um, the guy who was at one point a Satanist uh, general, actually, more specifically than a high priest. For 20 years now, he's been following Jesus, John Ramirez. His newest book is Fire Prayers. We're going to close our service with one of these, which is actually we're going to endeavour to push aside any demonic influence on any of your lives. It's a prayer he would recommend to pray. He's got a bunch of prayers for everything. But this is a great prayer to pray at the end. So that's another one. If you're into spiritual warfare, want some prayers to pray, Fire Prayers by John Ramirez. So I'm going to pop this down because there's no room up here. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to look at a, a passage today found in Luke. It's a fairly long reading, but persevere with me as we go through this reading together. Luke 8.26. It says this. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied. Because many demons had gone into him. 
And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, and they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into a boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. It's a great passage and there's a, there's a lot of uh, principles there within that passage that we'll explore today. Um, as you know, my topic is driving out demons. I, I, I think it's important at the beginning to point out, of course, we, we've seen what this man was like in the account. Now, I need to mention, of course, mental illness. It can be chemical, it can be psychological, it can be physical, there could be historic trauma. There's lots of reasons for it. Um, but the problem is, I think for many Christians, they're the reasons we think of rather than the spirit realm. Um, a lot of Baptist, we're a Baptist church. A lot of Baptist churches, <laughs> you'll often hear the phrase, well, you can't be seeing demons behind every tree. You know, in other words, you know, don't go over the top with this. But for a lot of evangelical churches, it's the opposite. We don't think very much about it and we don't do teaching on it generally in churches. Um, I don't think that's healthy. It's in the Bible, if, if you go through with a highlighter about all the Jesus dealing with demons, it's, it's incredible just how much there is there. There's tons of it. If God has chosen to put that in the Bible, it's with purpose. We need to learn about this stuff. Now, Billy Graham speaks on this very passage, actually. He's a Baptist, and he would be very strong in pointing out this realm is something we've got to know how to deal with. Well, let me just um, try and make a comparison here for a moment. Obviously, all of us have met people with mental illness. But some of us might have met people where we think it's not just mental illness, it's more than that. My wife uh, was a nurse, and uh, at one point, um, she, when I say was a nurse, she used to do nursing, she doesn't do it anymore. She did it for quite a few years. Now, one of, the, one of her jobs, she used to work in a... Um, it was when they were getting people out of the big institutions who had mental illness and putting them into residential homes to live a more normal life. They felt that would be better for them. Um, so she used to work with people like that. Now, some of them, they just had a mental illness, you know, uh, and that was, that was the reality. Some of them were really lovely, actually, quite charming. There was one, one guy who was always saying, oh, it's my lucky day, it's my lucky day. <laughs> Every day was his lucky day. But let me make a comparison. There was one girl who sometimes she would arch her back, hiss like a snake, and blaspheme Jesus Christ. Can you see the difference? 
Now, I mean, arching her back and hissing, that's weird enough, but the fact she blasphemed Jesus, doesn't that sound demonic? Yes, it's just mental illness sometimes. It's not spiritual at all, but sometimes, as Billy Graham would say, sometimes it is spiritual, and we can't ignore that. The Bible's full of it, as he would say. <clears throat> Let me unpack this, the um, passage uh, section by section. 8.26 says this. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he met a demon-possessed man from the town. Now, the Gerasenes, this is tricky, actually. Um, Leon Morris, he's actually a, a Melbourne Bible scholar, the late Leon Morris, knowledge all over the world, probably the best Bible scholar we have produced. Um, he says this, that the, with the research, knowing exactly where the Gerasenes was, it is not easy. You know, it's very tricky to find out. So I can't really put up a map because it's quite disputed where the location was. What I can tell you is this. Um, they seem to have left from Capernaum. So that's kind of up near the top of Lake Galilee. They have crossed the lake to the opposite side and gone south. So it's somewhere around there. That's about as accurate as I can be. But as Liam Morris points out, that historically we know it was predominantly a Gentile area. Thus, dudes looking after pigs. The Jewish wouldn't be looking after pigs. Um, so it's mostly Gentile, this area. Um, and that tells us something. Uh, let me go back to earlier before the Bible reading. It said in 8.22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. Other side of the lake, opposite to Galilee. Okay. Now we read the word demon-possessed in that uh, passage of, of just a couple of verses that I read a moment ago. Now... There's over 50 references to demon possession or oppression or something similar. Uh, there's lots of references in the scriptures about it. Now, the Greek root word is daimon, which is translated demon, sometimes devil. The old King Jimmy translates it devil. Um, the Greek word uh, daimosimo, uh, let me try and pronounce this right, uh, daimo daimonizomai, that's it, daimonizomai, that's the one that's often translated demon-possessed. But that may not be the best translation, because it, 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 it can denote ownership, possession, can't it? And uh, really it means more to be under the influence of, not owned by. Let me read uh, Derek Prince, he speaks into this. Most modern versions have correctly changed devil to demon, but incorrectly retain the form to be possessed. The problem with this form is that to the English ears, the word possess immediately suggests ownership to be possessed by a devil or a demon. But there is no basis for this in the Greek word, and this kind it's diamo. Uh, diamosio, diamosio, oh goodness, it's hard to say, uh, which conveys no suggestion of ownership but means merely to subject to demon influence. Um, now, unlike me, Derek Prince is a Greek scholar. He's well educated enough in Greek, he can teach it at a university level. So he doesn't just have uh, a qualification in theology, he's got a qualification in Greek as well. So he knows his stuff. Um, so he He's saying something there that might be important for us, and I make a point from it. Number one, demon possession does not mean demon ownership. Demon possession does not mean demon ownership. That's important to know. 
Luke 8, 27, second bit of the verse. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs for a long time. That means not always. Didn't always live in the tombs, didn't always um, live outside of, you know, a dwelling, but he has now for some time. Um, You know, it may have been when he was young, he dabbled with the occult. And perhaps there were benefits of doing that. For instance, um, it it says in 8.29b, have a look at this verse. Though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he broke the chains. So perhaps as a young fella, he dabbles with the occult and he's given supernatural strength. How cool would that be? Breaking chains and stuff. That would impress the lads. But unfortunately, as he dabbled more and more, look at his life now. He's naked. He lives amongst the tombs. It sounds pretty horrible. Um, Now, I know that you might be thinking, yeah, but this is kind of weird stuff, Lee. Why are you talking these weird topics, man? They don't really affect people today. This is back like 2,000 years ago. Well, Brett, why don't you come up and share a little bit of your story of dabbling with the occult? Fire road, Brett. Tell us about when you were a young fella. Um, okay, so I don't usually like talking in front of people, so that's straight up hard. <laughs> well, we appreciate it, brother. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, when I was younger, like, um, as a young kid, like, teenager, um, people in the area used to do seances and stuff. And so, like, yeah... Um, me and a couple of friends, we decided we're going to be trying it out, see what happens, yeah? And it was just harmless fun. We didn't realise the ramifications of what it was about. And so, like, we set up some letters and stuff around the board, yes, no, numbers, whatever, and we got a glass and we, away we went. And at the start, it was all pretty harmless, pretty timid sort of stuff. But as time rolled on, it became more of an um, obsession with us. We would come home from school, we'd go to set it up and that, and... After a while, like, weird things started really happening and, like, friends was getting possessed and while we are doing his eyes would flicker and something would take over his body and he'd speak in a, like, a devilish voice and, like, he'd snap out of it and, like, maybe have a friend looking at what's going on here? <laughs> this is not right, you know? And there was other times when we're doing a, doing a thing and the table would lift off the ground, yeah? And we'd try our best to hold it down. And this was going on for a while, yeah. And so, like, a while, I'd say a couple of months, two, three months, whatever. And there was times when the um, glass would fly off the table and smash into the wall and stuff, you know. The glass would violently run around the table and stuff. So um, you've got to be careful what you put yourself into, younger people in particular. Um, it might seem inviting. It might seem innocent and harmful, harmless. But you're inviting things over your life that you don't need to have in your life. It's better to be walking in the spirit of Jesus and the light of Jesus rather than the darkness of this world. So I just want to encourage the younger people, steer clear if you can. And it knocked you around pretty bad after a while, didn't it? Oh, yeah, we sort of let... After that, we we, um, we just decided, well, we're going to burn down my mate's bungalow to get rid of it, his spirits and stuff, yeah? We're going to burn his bungalow down. And he's like, yeah. And he goes, no, no, I can't do that. <laughs> So we just decided. Mum and Dad to, wouldn't be happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, he was from a, um, a single-parent family. His, his father had moved out, and I was in a similar situation. My father had, was not on the scene. So I think there's other things involved in that with a single-parent family as well. Like the younger kids sort of have um, free reign to over the parents as such, but that's a different thing. 
And so we decided to just, we're not going to do it anymore. We'll just finish it. We're not, it's not going to happen. We're just going to stop doing it. And we sort of stopped doing it. But we led on to other different things. And yeah, like that, this is when I was like in my uh, late teens, mid late teens. But later on in my mid to late 20s, I had a breakdown as well. I was getting under attack spiritually. Um, there was heaviness over my life. And yeah, it was a pretty hard battle that I went through at that time. And I um, uh, ended up in the psych ward, you know, and uh, twice. And so praise God I got through that with uh, the help of Jesus, yeah. Because um, I was wanted to eat it all, you know. I was struggling each day to, if I wanted to live, wanted to be here, not be here, nothing. So, yeah. Spiritual attacks comes on you, and we invite it under ourselves by the things we get involved in. And so, you've got to be careful what you get yourself involved in. And um, just mention briefly how you became a Christian. Um, well, I was having that struggle, and like my brother. Um, found this church through different friends um, in Essendon. Um, it was a Pentecostal church, and so, I believe. And so he invited me to, you know, do you want to come along? And I knew that I wanted Jesus. I used to pray, praise Jesus before I become a Christian. Well, all this stuff was happening. I just praised God, yeah? And he was watching, what are you praising God for? What are you praising God for? And I just kept getting attacked in different ways. Um, and so, like, he invited me to, to come to this church, and I knew it was what I needed. And the minister, there's like 200 people at this church. It's full on. And um, there's a biker dude going, sitting there going, this is all over. And he's swearing and carrying on. So he was manifesting. And anyway, the minister gave the altar call and I just went up there. I just straight away went up and praised, gave my heart to the Lord there and then. And um, awesome. yeah, stayed, in, stayed in the word. I was, yeah, under a lot of attack. And I was given a Bible. New Testament, soft cover, and that's all I had. And I would just sit in the bungalow and just read it and 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 read it. Then I was led to another church um, closer by. And uh, yeah, the minister there was really good, very um, spiritually orientated. And we worked for a lot of them things and we um, covered them in the blood of Jesus. And praise awesome. God, um, Jesus. Praise God. Is the, uh, yeah, let's give him a hand. That's awesome, Brett. Thank you, Sharon, brother. Fantastic. So it's just a reminder getting bred up today. Look, this is real stuff. People have been sucked into the occultic stuff and it's messed with their life badly. Praise God, Brett came to faith in Jesus and was set free. Hallelujah. I want to make a second point about this. Number two, demons destroy people's lives. Number two, demons destroy people's lives. Remember that man in the passage? He's like, he's not wearing clothes. He's living amongst the tombs. His life sounds awful. Brett's life could have become awful too, couldn't it? But praise God, he's been set free. And this guy in the story is going to get set free too. Luke 8, 28. When, Jesus, when he saw Jesus, it said, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice. So these are the demons using the vocal cords of the man. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Number three. Demons recognize and fear Jesus. Demons recognize and fear Jesus. Clearly, the demons knew who Jesus was. Um, you know, actually, the disciples are still learning who he is at this point. There's a huge storm coming across the lake on the way there, 
and Jesus calmed the storm. They said, oh, who is this who can even calm the storm? You know, they're still discovering who Jesus is. Of course, the demons know. You know, they know who Jesus is. Um, I like this phrase here, don't torture me. They're clearly scared of him. <laughs> don't torture me. <laughs> it's, uh, anyway, but can I suggest, friends, just as these demons are scared of Jesus, the fact is, if you're a committed Christian, you're carrying the Spirit of God in your heart. Frankly, demons are scared of committed Christians. Derek Prince says, there is no one that is more terrifying to Satan than someone who has truly given their life in complete surrender to Jesus. Remember this verse? 1 John 4.4 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because of the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in us, the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is in us. He is greater than the one who is in the world, referring to Satan. Now, how did Jesus drive out the demon? Have a look here in Luke 8, 29, first bit. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. What did he do? He commanded it to come out. How did he deal with demons? He commanded it to come out. Are we to do that? Well, let's have a look at the disciples. A couple of chapters later, he sends his disciples out to do exactly the same thing. He's modelled it, now he's sending them to do it. Luke 10, 17. Just two chapters later, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So not just the 12, the bigger group of disciples, the 72, he sent them out to heal the sick, to share the gospel and to drive out demons. And the demons submitted to them. Why? Because of their authority? No, because of Jesus' authority. They submitted in Jesus' name. Let's be reminded of the authority of Jesus. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome. But first, let's make this point. Number four, demons must be driven out in Jesus' name. It's part of the process. Number four, demons must be driven out in Jesus' name. Now, you heard Lucy read a passage that elevates Jesus from the book of Philippians. Let me read it again. Uh, 2.9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It mentions three realms there. It mentions the heaven where the almighty Father God is. It mentions our realm, planet earth. But it also mentions those under the earth, the demonic realm. Every realm must bow to the authority of name of Jesus. He is the Lord of all lords. That's why we have authorities over demons. You know, we have authority simply because if we're his ambassador, if we're his representative, if we're his servant, we have authority over demons. Before he commanded that it come out, what question did he ask? Yes, that's right. 8.30. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons have gone into him. Now, I think it's just simply descriptive of the fact there was a bunch of demons there. Demons often want to identify themselves in some way. It might be what they do. In this case, it's kind of the collective body of these demons. They decided they would call themselves legion. What is a legion? Well, a legion was, a Roman legion was 6,000 soldiers, there's no reason to believe there's 6,000 demons in the dude, but there's a lot, and they've decided on that particular name. 
Um, Jesus sometimes identified demonic powers by name. You think of this passage, Mark 25, 9, 25 of Mark. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Same sort of thing. You know, he identifies the spirit. In this case, it was causing the person to be mute and deaf. He, he referred to it by the name of what it was doing and drove it out by name. Can I suggest this? Number five. Demons may need to be identified. Dealing with demons, demons may need to be identified. Um, Derek Prince in his book here, They Shall Expel Demons, talks a lot about that. He will often call out, sometimes people have a few, he will call them out by name. Often as he feels discernment of what type of demon is influencing that person, he will call them out by name. Might be spirit of death, come out in Jesus' name. Might be spirit of depression, come out in Jesus' name. Spirit of lust, come out in, spirit, in Jesus' name. And so on, you know, he will name them as he feels dis discernment about that. But the point of this, it's not just a bit of weird ritual, the person's life changes after it. If it's not real, there wouldn't be any change. 8.31 says this, And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. The abyss, hell, the lake of fire, they're all kind of in the same realm. It's interesting, isn't it? Clearly it must be a nasty place. Well, we learnt that, didn't we, in our sermon about hell. They'd much rather live in a pig than go to the abyss. <laughs> Luke 8.32 a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Um, this tells us something very practically, doesn't it? Number six, animals can be demonised. Number six, animals can be demonised. Not just people. Um, I know it's a heavy sermon, so let, let me give you a more light-hearted story about this. Not like those crazy, wild, huge dogs that I encountered in India. This is a funnier story. Um, um, Crossway South, we ran the Alpha course um, on one occasion, and uh, it was on a Monday night. In uh, we had a we hired a theatre, and we had a foyer area where we ran the Alpha course and. We tied it in with Alpha that were running it on Monday nights throughout Victoria at the time. We'd had a big outreach just before it as well. We had a great turnout. We had about seven people turn up. A bunch of different tables were running. My table had about ten people. Now, those ten people after Alpha, we, we then joined in a, a residential Bible study group. So, just in one of the ladies' homes, did a term in her home, and then we did a term in a different home. Now, the next home we were in had a nasty little sucker of a dog in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the couple were, were fantastic the guy had got saved on the alpha course the lady had been saved a little bit before that so it's mostly new converts this bible study new believers well um we'd arrive and this little flipping dog mate he'd snap at you he'd bite you he'd grab your trousers legs they'd try and put him outside he always seemed to find a way back in and uh, anyway he was a nightmare this little dude anyway <laughs> <laughs> About four weeks into it, I had a tap with a couple who owned the dog, and, and I, Tom, I reckon this flipping thing's possessed. Anyway, so one night at the Bible study, I said, demonic power, I command you, come out of this dog in Jesus' name, get out of it, leave it alone, never enter it again, in Jesus' name, come out of it. 
Well, you might think, that's just weird, man. That's just really weird. <laughs> well, I kid you not. Next week at Bible study, the dog was at peace. He was calm. He was pleasant. He didn't snap at people anymore. He didn't growl and bite them. He was pleasant the whole time and friendly. And I tell you what, that, that next week, this is week five, he'd been nasty for about four weeks. Now he's nice and he remained nice. That first night, we would sometimes, at the end, we'd pray for one another. And, um, and that's when he used to really go off, actually. This night, we're praying for people. You know, someone's sitting on a seat. We're just gathering around, laying hands on them. The dog, he hops up on his back legs, only little fella, puts his paw on the person. He looks like he's praying as well. And so from there on, the owner said, oh, our dog's Christian. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Let's have a look at 8.34. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind. Wow, that's lovely. I'll make a point of that in a minute, but I know that some of you might be thinking, what about the pigs? Well, I had a friend called Gary who was a new believer, and I think his dad was a farmer, and, and he was like, well, that's, that's not right. You know, that's, that was bad of Jesus. He destroyed the farmer's property. You know, and... Um, let me just mention a couple of things. First of all, we must remember, Jesus didn't command the demons to go into the pigs. They really wanted to. So he gave them permission. It wasn't a command. Secondly, I don't think the pigs had any, in, uh, sorry, the demons had any intention of killing the pigs. It's just, they wanted to live inside the pigs. Better there than in the abyss. But the pigs were so freaked out when the demons entered them, they took off in a crazy running and ended up in the lake and died. You know, so it, you might say none of this was kind of intentional, it, but it, that's the way it happens. Um, but more importantly, let me quote um, from Leon Morris, the Melbourne scholar, the late Leon Morris. He says this about the passage. A further difficulty is that Jesus cured the man at the expense of the owners of the animals. To this, the basic reply must be that the cure of the man was more important than the herd of pigs. Can anyone seriously hold that the pigs should have been saved and the man left unsaved, he writes. We could also add the freeing of the neighbourhood from the peril and terror of this wild manic was greater benefit to the whole city than the loss of the herd. I agree with Morris. That's reasonable, isn't it, what he's saying there. Uh, some people always think the economy is more important than the person. Yeah, so I guess there was some economy tied up with the pigs. But the more, more importantly, we see a wonderful principle about deliverance here in this passage. You know, um, what does it say about the guy? He was now in his right mind. He's sitting at Jesus' feet. He's at peace. In fact, I would go as far to say, uh, who else sat at Jesus' feet? Mary, uh, sister of Martha. And what was she doing when she was sitting at Jesus' feet? She was listening to him teach. That's the image I've got. The guy's at peace. He's listening to Jesus teach at his feet. Can I suggest this? Number seven. Deliverance ministry provides mental freedom. Deliverance ministry provides mental freedom. Number, uh, verse 35, 835, second bit of the verse. It says, when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and look at this, 
and they were afraid. This is the people of the community. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear, so he got into the boat and he left. Mate. Jesus, by the way, uh, he won't force himself on anyone. The Holy Spirit will not force himself on anyone. You've got a friend who's just not open to Christ. I mean, God's willing to reach out to them. They don't want him. He's not going to impose himself upon them. Um, you know, let me suggest that I think this community were quite familiar with occultic spirits. It certainly sounds like it. But the Holy Spirit, completely unfamiliar with the Holy Spirit, and frankly, they were scared. They were scared of the presence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. You know, um, I, look, I, over the years, I, I've, been a, <laughs> I've been kind of amazed by this, but I've met people and they, they will say, oh, how peaceful it is in the Baha'i Temple. But they're terrified of coming to a church. Scared as. And it's dealing with different spirits. The presence of the Holy Spirit is something that those that have dabbled in the occult often find scary. They're not familiar with it. The power of the Holy Spirit. Let, let me illustrate this actually. With a, again, this is slightly amusing, this story. Um, my uh, church at Crossway South, we used to... Um, do Easter and Christmas productions in connection with we were planted by Crossway. They did that as well. And we had an Easter production coming up. And uh, every Saturday, Easter Saturday, there was a uh, venue not far from our church, just a short walk, and they would always hold a big New Age event there. And Christian groups would often get along and try and share Jesus there. So anyway, I had a chat with the manager. And I, I shared with the manager, you know, we've got this, um, got this thing called Breaking Chains coming up. Uh, Easter Sunday, and I showed her the brochure, pretty cool looking flyer actually, and uh, she thought, oh yeah, that looks, that looks good, you know, said you can, you can promote that, and uh, so myself and my children's director, Lee Fallon, we stood at the entrance of this venue, and we're just panning these suckers out, it was great, um, and then about 20 minutes into it, the manager, she comes up to us and said, oh look, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry to have to say this, but I, I've had people that have called me and said, they didn't feel free to come in. You see, you, 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 you guys have such a strong spirit that they didn't feel they could, they could come through. So, look, if you could hand out the, 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 the flyers somewhere else in the building, not at the door, that would be great. <laughs> now, of course, we cooperated with her, but as you can imagine, we had a bit of a chuckle because <laughs> we knew that this new age lady, she was not familiar with the Holy Spirit. She just knew it was a very strong spirit, as did some of her regulars who came along. Reality is, this spiritual realm is something that um, is very, very real. Um, and it just reminds us of how people actually do sense the reality of the almighty God. Some are attracted to him, some are freaked out because um, they're not familiar with the Holy Spirit. Luke 8.38 says this, The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. See, Jesus hadn't just set him free from the demonic powers. This guy had come to believe Jesus. He had accepted him uh, as, I, I guess, the Messiah. And he wanted to do whatever Jesus desired. Jesus had sent him out as a witness or an evangelist for that whole community, that whole region. Um, can I suggest this? Number eight, last point. 
The primary purpose of deliverance is to build God's kingdom. Number eight, the primary purpose of deliverance is to build God's kingdom. Uh, Bible commentator William Barclay uh, mentions about those few verses I just read. He says this, It is our duty where Christ has set us there to witness for him. And if it should happen that there are only you are the only Christian in the shop, the office, the school, the factory, the circle in which we live or work, that is not a matter for lamentation. It is a challenge to us in which God says, go and tell the people you meet every day what I have done for you. We've got a, um, an opportunity just coming up very soon, haven't we, in a couple of weeks. The, uh, the service, the one that we're calling Don't Miss Christmas, just a simple little service. It's going to be a few carols, and I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the people in the nativity story that miss Christmas. Like the innkeeper, baby born on his property, no indication he ever realised that. Like people like Herod, he wanted to, you know, stamp out and kill the baby. He never recognised the Messiah to truly be who he was. Or even some of the religious leaders, they totally missed the real meaning of Christmas. And the, I guess the encouragement will be in the service, hey, don't miss Christmas. <laughs> don't miss the real meaning of Christmas. So yeah, if you've got some friends along, this will be all geared up for people who are not used to church. So um, do invite someone along, grab a flyer, invite a family member or a friend along uh, to that event. It's a, a tool in your hand to be a witness, just as Jesus told the guy being set free of demons, to tell everyone about what God had done for him. You might be asking the question, Lee, you've been just reading from a gospel. But was driving demons out part of the early church? Or was this just the Jesus thing? Well, let's have a look. Acts 5, 12 through 16. It says this. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter, the Apostle Peter's shadow, might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem. Notice this, bringing those who are ill and those tormented by impure spirits, those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So here it is in the early church, the apostles who were being brought to them, yeah, people who were sick, but also people who were tormented by impure spirits. And it says that actually they were all healed. Clearly a ministry of the early church. Too. But was it just the apostles? Was it just those 12 dudes? Well, let's find out. Let's look at someone else. Acts 8, 4. This is a guy called Philip. It's not Philip the Apostle. This Philip just gets introduced to us in Acts 6. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Look at this. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Uh, he's often referred to as Philip the Evangelist, but he's not an apostle. He's just another dude. 
As we can see, the ministry of deliverance was part of the early church. Therefore, it should be part of what we do as well. Let me uh, recap on the points we've made today. Number one, demon possession does not mean demon ownership. Two, demons destroy people's lives. Three, demons recognize and fear Jesus. Four, demons must be driven out in Jesus' name. Five, demons may need to be identified. Six, animals can be demonized. Seven, deliverance ministry provides mental freedom and eight, the primary purpose of deliverance is to build God's kingdom. Let me just give you a very church-based story as I draw this to a close. Um, one of my churches, I was a, a worship pastor, not the senior pastor, and um, I remember coming off stage after leading worship and this lady, young adult lady, uh, came forward and wanted some prayer. Now, as I started to pray for her, she kind of spun around, like spun, 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 and down on the floor. And she's rolling around on the floor. Therefore, do I think she's having a seizure? No, I don't. I think she's having a manifestation with a demon. And so I'm following around on the floor. Say, come out of her. In Jesus' name, I command you, come out of her. In Jesus' name, come out of her. Come out of her now. In Jesus' name, I command you, come out of her. Might have been a bit of a show for the people still hanging around church. <laughs> Well, I was doing that for about three minutes and then all of a sudden she kind of sat up and glared at me and this is what she sounded like. She did not, it did not have a female. She's a female, very much a female. The voice was not female. It sounded just like this. I will not let her go. Back on the floor, rolling around. I thought, I'm going to need a bit more authority here. So I started quoting scripture. For instance, the one we heard earlier. It tells us in the word of God, Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, you will come out of her in the authority of name of Jesus. You will come out. You will obey the scriptures. And did that for about five minutes. Well, then she kind of just sat up. She's at peace. One of the ladies at church helped me to one of the front seats, sat down with her, prayed for her for a little while. And then I said, come and meet with me on uh, Wednesday at the office. So she did. And this is what she said to me. She said, I have been battling with obsessions and anxieties and they've all gone. They've all gone. Since you drove that demon out, they've all gone. Now, if this whole demon thing's not real, why would it make any difference to her at all? For some people, the issue is not psychological reasons or chemical reasons or physical reasons it's a spiritual problem and it cannot be fixed unless we deal with the demonic power i'd like to um finish with a prayer this is one of john ramirez's prayers he calls it fire prayers and the idea is that um we can be a bit passive sometimes at christians as christians you know and we're always defending ourselves this prayer, he would say, is you are attacking the demonic realm. And uh, the point of this prayer is to set us all free from any demonic influence. And our families, you know, our workplace, you name it. So um, if you'd like to pray this, we don't have to pray it, but if you'd like to, I'm putting it up on screen, it's going to go for, there's three slides. Let me encourage you to stand. We'll pray this prayer together. 
Let's shake off any demonic influence over our lives. As you'll notice, he mentions the blood of Jesus several times. I'm going to read it a bit faster than last time. Let's just pray this together, read this out together if you're comfortable doing this. Let's pray together now. By the blood of Jesus, I destroy every devil that is trying to invade my purpose and destiny. I smite with the judgment of God the head of every demon of satanic hindrance, blockage and delay in Jesus' name. I release the fire of God on every demon that brings hindrance, delay, blockage to my purpose, destiny, family, loved ones, ministry and finances. Let them all be destroyed completely and fully in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name, let the fire of the Holy Spirit burn to ashes every demon that is blocking my breakthrough. Let every devil that is hindering and blocking my promotion in my work and career drown today in the blood of Jesus. Father, let the favor of the Lord Jesus Christ open every door that the devil has closed in relation to my purpose, destiny, ministry, marriage, children, family, church, and finances in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I release the arsenals of heaven and the judgment of God on every foul and wicked spirit that is trying to intercept my purpose and destiny. Father, I baptize myself and my family, loved ones, church, ministry, purpose and destiny in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let every blockage, hindrance and stronghold that is stopping my breakthrough be completely and fully pulverized in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I give you the glory, praise and honor. I worship you and thank you for the victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. We're going to give the Lord some praise. Sue's going to come and pray for us as a whole. Uh, do stay up standing. Thank you, Sue. Come and pray for us. We'll finish with a final song of praise. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you that you came. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your finished work on the cross. We thank you for the word that we have heard today. Holy Spirit, hold that word in our hearts. Help us walk in this word that we have heard today. Increase our understanding and revelation of what we have heard today so that we can walk in the fullness and the freedom of everything that Jesus has bought and paid for us by his blood, by his stripes, by everything he paid for when he lived and died and rose again. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.